2: Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Mark Tepper, and Dan Nathan. Another Monday meltdown as rate shock hits stocks. All three major averages finishing the day. deep in the red coming up. You'll hear from one long-term bull who says he is now the most bearish he has been in a very long time. Also ahead, a pulse check on the consumer. The three key events coming down the pike that will tell us that the U.S. consumer is alive and well plus a bolt call on Bitcoin. One Wall Street firm says the cryptocurrency is about to break out the magic number they are putting on Bitcoin right now. But we begin with another tough day on Wall Street stocks hitting the skids as yields headed south, it's just adding to Wall Street's wall of worry. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, UBS, Bank of America all out with new notes, raising the red flag on trade tensions hitting the market. So what do we make of all this, this sort of I don't know, stuttering in the markets based on trade.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting that, that you're getting some of the macro folks around the street starting to become a little bit more concerned, when in fact I, I, I do think that we've seen uh, bond years telling us something very dramatic. So 164 we close in the 10-year dollar holding in. But, but I think the concern around the rest of the world, truly that we're seeing some major contraction. We A couple of PMIs we've had over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've got regional, regional Fed surveys this week. We've got a CPI number in the states, uh, which I do think that the Fed will be closely watching to, to at least give them something to to follow through behind in terms of inflation or lack thereof, giving them more cover. Look, uh, the bond market is concerning. When you look at European banks trade down 8.5% over seven sessions, and you can make an argument that the real structural problems in the global economy exist in Europe, not in China, that's reason to be concerned.
3: Well,
4: I think it's interesting. It wasn't but a fortnight ago. Everybody was concerned about that's two weeks to you guys on the metric system. But it was two weeks ago that we were worried about the Federal Reserve not cutting rates enough. Now, all of a sudden, we've got bond yields at lows and everybody's concerned about a recession that's out there. Now, I I do think that there's some justification to this concern about this global slowdown because it's continuing to go on. To me, what's going on in this market right now is people are pricing in a prolonged trade war that goes on past the election, and that's going to drive drag on growth, and it's going to drag on growth globally, and then it's hitting the hot spots. Europe being one of them. Uh, 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 Japan banks being another one of them. Certainly China, and then Hong Kong.
2: I mean, within that fortnight span, BK, we got the additional 10% tariff tweet. We got also some weak data out of Europe, and so that all adds up to those mounting global concerns
3: yeah i mean there's huge global concerns and quite frankly you know i was really convinced that we were going to have some sort of a trade deal done by the end of this year i thought trump was slow playing this thing he wanted to get a couple rate cuts in before He signed off on any trade deal. And the way I'm feeling right now is now China is in a position of strength. They have the ability to slow play this all the way through the election next year. Uh, And we might not even get a trade deal at that point. So, you know, trade matters for manufacturing. Manufacturing matters for profits and profits matter for jobs and capex. So, you know, it's, it's all an issue right now.
5: Yeah, and I guess the big issue if you're watching this show because you care about the stock market is that the S&P 500 is basically flat year over year. Last August, it was trading at very similar levels, and we have a situation where we're seeing one step up and two steps and sometimes three steps back as far as what the ability is for the S&P 500 to make some real progress here. So we talked about last week some of these incremental new highs that we've seen since January of 2018. The real problem that I see is that every time you want to try to buy that breakout, you get a flush lower. We've had a 7% We've had a 12%, and we've had a 20%. Now, there's been great trading opportunities to buy those lows, but the longer this goes on and the longer these issues are existing as far as what we're seeing in other risk assets, most notably yields. The risks of buying those lows increased but, fairly dramatically. It's just that simple.
1: I think you're right. The, the, the question is, is there a headline out there that gets you to change that view, Dan? And, and we've been in a place where the trade headlines have been enough. Uh, obviously, the Fed has been a major supporter. If you think what got us really to the highs uh, after that June low was set, June 3rd, uh, it was really probably the Fed. Mm-hmm. But... but we have had enough headline support where the question ultimately is, is the market now becoming completely inured ah. to, to any of that? And are we too late? And, and CEOs didn't tell us in 2Q earnings season that, that they were necessarily...
5: They, they were not pessimistic enough, yeah, but, and, and that could be a concern. But we've folks. seen this time and time again. Think back the last 20 years when we've seen this build up in the late 90s into early 2000. I mean, the CEOs were the last ones to call it. In the build up to the 2007-2008 market top, the Fed were the last ones to call it. The bank CEOs were the last ones to call it. That's not really their that's, job.
2: That's fair, but in the meltdown that we saw at the end of last year, we did have earnings season as sort of... They did call it early. Remember, we started getting those yeah, warnings and, early well, from, on, right. and that sort of preceded... Well, hold on. We also had, we also had a government
5: shutdown that was looming. Uh, listen, let me tell you what's going on in 2019 right now. You do The that. world is becoming Come a on. bit unhinged in all different facets when you think about it. Look at what's going on in yields globally. We've never seen this in the history of the planet. Look what's going on politically, okay? In Hong Kong, we're going to talk about It's becoming a little dangerous. Think about all the issues that we have related to climate change and stuff like that. It's feeling a bit unhinged. I'm just saying. So the one thing that's not unhinged right now is the S&P 500. 300s are, so are now involved. that, that just Wow. Okay. But here's the
4: thing. You're saying the one thing that's not unhinged <laughs> is I'm the mistaken. S&P 500. So that, to me, is what makes it more dangerous. We're not that far off the highs. Every other asset class out there, every other risk asset class is telling you that there is something wrong in the world, yet the S&P 500 is still lingering near its highs. So I actually think there's more to go on the downside here whether there's global warming or you or you enjoy driving your SUV, is there a little
2: part in you, Tim, Hi. that thinks that <laughs> uh, you know all these firms are finally throwing into the towel, raising the red flag, and maybe maybe that's. Sure. a sign there's, of the
1: bottom. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a contrarian in me that sees that. There's, there's also, I think, positioning, which we've, we've talked about. You can debate how real-time it is, but when I look at hedge fund positioning, uh, but more importantly, I look at kind of overall investor positioning, I, I do think that the, the, the bearishness that's out there right now, uh, and certainly that's taken place quickly in the last week, is, is enough to make me say, hey, look, uh, we're going to grow 2% in this quarter. Uh, I realize things can change in a hurry. Dan brings up a lot of relevant historic uh, moments in time where people didn't see the whistling past the graveyard or In fact, they were doing such. But uh, everything we heard out of corporate America is a lot of caution on global trade. uh, But nobody's saying, you know, my business is falling apart here. And and I just, uh, while I don't think CEOs have... Uh, necessarily always the ability to forecast the future. They have no reason to be Pollyanna here, and, and I, I don't think they, they were.
2: All right. Well, one long-term bull says growing trade tensions have hit, have him the most bearish he has been in a very long time. Let's bring in Jonathan Golub, chief U.S. equity strategist at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, great to have you back. Um, what what caused you to
6: turn so bearish? Well, I mean, I, and I think, that you, you, Dan, you hit the you point. We are flat for the last year, and if you get away from the gyrations that we have, a great six months really on the back of unwinding the fourth quarter, markets don't move forward when you have a meaningful deceleration in global data. Period. And the second thing is, well, well, we want to believe that lower rates are good when you have rates go from three and a quarter to one sixty and change on the ten-year. That The market's telling you that there's something wrong. So what do I want to see? I want to see interest rates level off and start to rise. I want to see the cyclical data get better. And we hit our year-end target about three or four weeks ago with 30.25. Everyone was asking, are you going to push it forward? Do you think it's going to go up? I said, listen, I think that this thing is going to take a breather for a while. And right now, I think that's the case. Longer term, we're not going into recession. I, you know, there's a lot that's wrong. I, when I, I don't think we're going over a cliff. But I wouldn't be buying. And by the way, in December, I was screaming, buy into the volatility. I'm not making a comment now. Do
2: you think yields are going to go a lot um, lower? And I'm asking you this because so many people are saying, oh, you know, I can see yields going down to 135 to test the prior low, or I can see yields go to 125 or even one or whatever. But I don't see a recession on the horizon. I'm, and I'm just wondering, what exactly then is the 10-year telegraphing when we go from that high level to 164? Right.
6: The Fed has inverted the short end of the curve, and until the Fed comes out and says that we are going to fix that, the interest rate is going to keep getting pushed lower, until. and it's not whether they do one more or two more. The Fed needs to say, we will not allow the short end of the curve to be inverted, because what it means is... People, instead of investing longer term, are just going to roll one year, one month paper over and it drains liquidity out of the system and it puts the system at risk. There's a reason why the market hates to see an inverted curve because it is a problem. So if, you, if the Fed gets religion on that, I think that interest rates will rise, the curve will steepen, and I think it'll be good for markets. It won't be, you need, there's really two stories, though, that and the cyclical data.
4: So, okay, so that's actually, I'm glad you brought up cyclical data again, because nobody thought that yields could go down here. Now that we're down here, everybody says they're going to zero. What happens is the sequencing important? So, do we need to get good cyclical data and then yields rise, or can the yield can yields rise and give us a signal that things are getting better? It's, it's
6: a great point, but I think that if so, if the Fed were to, were to let you know that they're actually this data dependence means that they're day trading the the economic data like we are. No, what they need to say is we are going to fix the curve that we we ultimately. And you can't have the futures market saying they're going to move three and a half and them saying, well, we'll see how it goes. And so if they get religion on that, I'll tell you right now, the tenure is going to move up and, and bond investors are going to lose money. Short of that, I think it's going to continue to, to be here or lower.
2: What is, I mean, what is religion in the context of the reality of Jerome Powell? Is it 50 basis points in September?
6: They, right now, there's almost no acknowledgment that the short end of the curve is being inverted because they're holding the overnight rate way too high. And so, so it does. they don't need to say we're doing three or we're doing four. What they need to say is this is an important part of our objective. If we believe... We're going to defend this. Well, it's not a like defend, but if we want to see growth in the economy, we can't have an inverted short end of the curve, and that's important to us. Mm-hmm. If they say that tomorrow... I'll tell you right now, you're going to get a, a pop in, in, in yields and they don't need to move at all. So I mean, John, eventually, but but in the near
1: right. term, they don't need to. I'd like to forget the Fed for a second because I actually think that the market thinks is the market's an atheist right now. The, the market doesn't believe the Fed. I think the Fed's rendered itself irrelevant. Your stock picker, your strategist, in this environment where we stay at 165 or we go to 135, there's, there's certainly been some sectors that have outperformed and have traded and there's been right. multiple expansion here. So w- where is it? Well, I
6: mean, I, I kind of think about the market as having three buckets. You have... A growth bucket. And how many growth stocks in the S&P 500? 35 of them. It's a really narrow list. You have these stable, relatively low-growth companies that you have in utilities and telcos and and staples. And people can't believe that that, that the P.E. is so high on them. But these are basically... These are like bond pro- These are bond proxies, but the S and P 1.9 dividend yield and the 10-year is 30 basis points lower. Anything which which smells like a bond is too cheap, and they're going to keep going up as long as you have this environment. And then anything that looks remotely cyclical until that data turns is a dog, and I would stay away from
3: it. Hey Jonathan, what would it take for you to feel more confident or have more clarity on 2020 earnings?
6: well so here let's take a look at what's what's going on right now the revenues are fine revenues are growing at three or four percent not an issue um the um, buybacks are are strong and you have a margin issue around three issues you got a dollar problem you have an oil problem and you have a big tech margin problem and ultimately though the average company the median company in the s p looks pretty darn healthy um next year i think you know if we assume that the dollar goes away as a headwind oil and some of these big tech issues go away, I think we'll be surprised. But the market's not paying attention to to the earnings story right now. It's all this other stuff. Have you ratcheted your target down further? Um, we, ha- we haven't. Um, what are you right? waiting for? Or what would it take? Okay. What would it take for me to... You're the to- most
2: bearish you've been in, in
6: however long. Yeah, I mean, so, so here's, here's my here's my, my, op- my, actually, my optimism or why I have it. If we look out 18 months, and we were talking bef- you know before about... Um, you know where we're you know what's the upside case the yield on the s&p dividends and buybacks is like three eight the s&p is cheap, so cheap compared to bonds that when you get investors buying stocks for yield instead of bonds for yield i think ultimately the valuation of the market has to go up but you have to wait and, and listen if you said to me two three years out or or 18 months out. I just don't know how much longer the the cyclical data is going to stay weak, and I don't have to be early on this one. But if you said to me, a year and a half from now, the stock market's going to be higher than this. All right.
2: Jonathan, good to see you. Thank you, Jonathan Golub of Credit Suisse. What do you think about this, Tina? valuation
5: Well, markets. it does make sense, and I mean, when you think about it, I think the yield thing came into play really hard when we saw this dramatic drop in the ten-year so quickly. Um, I, I listen, bubbles get created all the time because of this. We know that the staples are going to be really, really expensive, trading at twenty-five times, no growth, that you know, all that sort of thing. I, you know, I, I guess. The, the concern for me is that when you talk about the market right here, we just didn't have the confirmation of the new highs. We had a new high, a new all-time high in the S&P 500 last month, and we did not see the aga of MAGA. We only saw Microsoft. You didn't have Apple. You didn't have Google. And Hold you didn't have Amazon. The aga Amazon. of MAGA. Yeah. So MAGA the aga of MAGA. MAGA. Wow. You didn't have small caps. You didn't have industrials making highs. You didn't have the banks. And you say to yourself, what the heck is going on here? Because there doesn't look like a whole lot, heck of a lot of broad uh, strikes in
1: my but, opinion. Can, can we, I, I think, just cut to the chase here? if you if you listen to the conversation on the desk tonight and you listen to what the new strategists are saying, if you removed this sense of that there was massive black swan systemic risk in the world. Wouldn't stocks be a buy here? I mean, is, what are people I mean, people... What do you, are mean, active, by, what do you mean by black people, swans? My sense is people look at Hong Kong, they look at unprecedented okay. territory You still and, have and global,
2: flowing global uh, uh, growth
1: People are of the view, not that, that equities are falling apart because earnings are falling apart because the U.S. economy is going straight downhill They're looking at these other factors and they're assuming there is a black swan on the horizon, not looking at fundamentals as they are right now. All right.
2: We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Up next, a bullish bet on Bitcoin. The one Wall Street bank that sees more than 20% upside for the cryptocurrency will break down that call ahead and later a pulse check on the consumer. The one chart that says the American shopper might not be doing as well as everyone thinks will explain. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
7: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of Argentina. The peso plunging against the dollar after the country's center-right leader had a poor showing in primary elections last night. Uh, the, The political pressure, not only the latest in a string of issues facing Argentina, the economy still struggling, unemployment and poverty rates climbing and a host of other pains for the South American country. So, Tim, what do you think?
1: Well, the, the, the bigger issue for the, the peso is, are you starting to see what was looking like reformist governments that were taking hold again in Latin America? Again, this is about 10 years after the last time, or maybe 15, but Macri's losing in the primaries was devastating. It, it was a major shock, uh, and then that bleeds into Brazil. Brazil, in currency terms, was, in dollar terms, was down about 3.5% today, um, and the sense that also in Brazil, you had actually seen the pendulum... This is what happens. It goes back and forth, uh, at least it has in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. So if the question is, we're actually getting to, uh, you know, a more leftist, non-democratic uh, environment over there. That's, that's terrible. The bottom line is emerging markets so far have been pretty well contained in all this madness outside of what's been going on in China. If you start to see the currencies break down, and again, I'll just bring up the chart of the, the Brazilian real, somewhere around here over the last couple of days, you started to see this thing break where it looks like it could head straight to four. EM has been uh, a, a problem where crises have spread to in the past that have not started there, and that is something that people are looking at right now.
2: It's not even things. It's not even as if things were that great under Macri so far, right? I mean, inflation no. has been skyrocketing. But the alternative, Fernandez and Kirchner. I mean, if you take right. a look at Kirchner did before, right? Currency controls, a multi-year standoff with bondholders, not Argentina I mean, out of the capital. So market. that's why
4: the peso moved 15 percent, mm-hmm. which is a massive move for a currency. Just uh, a, a, as well as bonds fell apart. So you know, this is everybody priced in today the fact they're they're going to be capital controls, and they actually started pricing in the fact that the Argentina might default on a bond in twenty twenty one. So I mean that's what the market's thinking. To Tim's point though, the real play See, that the real, movie before though, right? Huh? I mean well I, yeah I, I, but the the real play as you point as you pointed out is does this spread to other emerging markets? Argentina on itself is probably not big enough to impact the US markets or anything else, but if it starts to have that contagion effect, that's where it becomes a problem.
3: Yeah, I mean hopefully it doesn't have that contagion effect but you know from my perspective Argentina does a lot of things really well, right? They've got great red wine, they've got great steak, tango but then they also have runaway inflation. Tango? You, you have a tango <laughs> game? I, I've, I've done it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. That
2: makes sense. I'm not
3: that good time. at it, but, you know, it's a good time. So, uh, you know, inflation was up 55% last year. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely crazy. They've defaulted on debt time and time again. Uh, their currency is down, you know, big time against the dollar. I think the dollar's appreciated 300%. Uh, versus uh, the peso over the course of the last three years. So just not a place I'd want to have any money right now.
2: All right. Well, whenever we talk about currency instability or potential devaluation, mm-hmm. do you think of Bitcoin, of course. And today, Goldman Sachs had a big call on Bitcoin saying uh, that Bitcoin will run 23% higher in the short term with an even bigger potential down the road. Um, and that uh, run would take Bitcoin right to around 14,000 in the short term. So... What do you think of that call? So
4: I like the call, but I am a bit concerned about the Bitcoin market. So I do think we actually have one more leg and generally in Bitcoin and other commodities, kind of this last leg of the rally is usually a pretty big, powerful uh, trade. What concerns me about Bitcoin right now is we're not seeing the address growth. So the reason why I look at that is because that's fundamentals, that's new money coming into it. So we really need to see that address growth. What's been going on, Bitcoin's been trading right with gold for the first time since I started talking about in 2013 macro players and other investors are actually using Bitcoin as a currency hedge. So that's starting to happen, but it's pure speculation. We need to see some buyers come in, some real buyers.
5: So, so Beaks, it seems like that Bitcoin has just kind of owned the entire crypto asset space in the last year and a half or something. Are you seeing this massive shift? Because this move has been really substantial. And the fact, one of the bull cases, I kind of think back to 17, I can't even remember what they were, <laughs> but it was, other than momentum, was that it was uncorrelated to traditional um, yeah. risk assets. So are we seeing that play out in is that why we're seeing the ability for this move to kind of stay put because macro players are trading it? Yeah, fashion?
4: I mean, this is this is the perfect storm for Bitcoin. You have multiple currencies around the world breaking down at the same time that institutional investors are actually embracing this asset class. So the combination of those two things have funneled all the money into Bitcoin.
1: That's why Bitcoin's outperformed so much in this environment. It, 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 look at gold. And so I don't want to take the focus off of Bitcoin, but I do think that the original Bitcoin was gold. And And if you look at the break of fifteen hundred today, you know and for someone that that for the 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 two and a half year resistance we kept running into around thirteen fifty to fourteen hundred, you know, definitely wrong there. And now it's time it's time to go the other direction. There's no question that the market is using gold as that proxy. Seventeen hundred will will certainly be challenged. And if you like gold, you probably like silver more because on a relative value of the gold silver index it's massively outperformed and silver is underperformed.
2: All right, well, you can read more about Bitcoin on our website, fastmoney.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show.
4: The Big Gamble. Tensions on the rise in Hong Kong. How will it impact gaming revenues in neighboring Macau? We're rolling the dice on China ahead. But first, the Cannabis Countdown. A pair of pot stocks putting out results this week. We'll break down what you can expect from Tilray and Canopy Growth when Fast Money returns.
7: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports this inspired him and his team to create ai highlights technology that uses ai and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event so millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports learn more at comcastcorporation.com what's on the horizon for financial markets
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a huge week for the consumer. Retailers like retailers like Macy's, Walmart and Tapestry all reporting results this week. We also get a slew of economic data including the consumer price index, retail sales and consumer sentiment. But with trade tensions heating up, the consumer could get crunched. Macy's CEO Jeff Kennett telling our own Courtney Reagan last quarter, if tariffs are levied on the remaining $300 billion worth of goods, which looks like is happening now, it could quote really impact our categories. It's not in guidance and when you do the math, it is hard to find a path through that would not impact customers. So with that said, now that we know the tariffs are coming... What do you think of retail?
4: I, I don't like retail for that exact reason. The one thing that retailers have been doing across the board is they've been absorbing some of these tariffs, and they've been keeping prices low. China's actually kept prices low, but now it's getting to a point where you can absorb 5%, five percent, 10%. But a 25% tariffs, if we start to go 10% to 25%, that becomes a real problem. Prices start to rise, and sales are going to go down. So any of the ones like Walmart, that chart looks terrible. Any of those names that have exposure to that, That, to me, are just no touches.
3: So I think there's certain pockets of opportunities within retail. So one of the the companies we like is TJ Maxx, right? So let Kohl's and Macy's, they can pay the tariffs on all these goods that are coming in. They're not going to sell them. Those goods are then going to end up over at TJ Maxx, and they will sell them because people love going there for that treasure hunt experience. Um, Beyond that, I think there's also an opportunity in companies like Lulu. I mean, that's a Canadian-based company, not going to be hit by the tariffs. Uh, Strong brand loyalty. I mean, my... I was just uh, on vacation in, uh, in California. All my girls wanted to do was go to, to the Lulu store, right? So, I mean, if people go there, they continue to buy it. Even if prices go up, they're going to continue to spend money there.
2: There's also, I mean, you're making the point earlier that there's sort of the, the staple retailer, yeah. which is doing okay. And then there are the department stores, which are not going to be able to weather the tariffs very well.
5: Yeah, so, I mean, listen, we don't even have to talk about the XRT. It's, literally, it's year after year for the last five years, one of the worst charts of all the sectors of the market. It's a disaster. You know, the issue about some of these big box guys like walmart and target and costco is their margins are really narrow i mean like so so that that's a big issue that being said i'd rather be there just one other point i think it's really important to think about when rates we're just spending a lot of time talking about rates what are we seeing in in autos what are we seeing in home sales we're seeing them down year over year so when you start thinking about where is the strength of this consumer that 70 percent of our gdp is on i i just don't i don't see it in the same light i mean
1: I just think the operating margin in Walmart has been priced to perfection. I think there's going to be pressure there. And I think if you look at us at Best Buy, that, that's a name always trades cheap. Guess what? They are the ones, to me, that are in the greatest line of fire yeah. from this trade war.
2: Let's turn to the charts. Consumer staples and discretionary. They've been among the S&P 500's best performing sectors in 2019. But despite the gains, the chart master says there are plenty of potholes on Main Street. Carter's over at the plasma. Hey, Carter.
8: Hi, guys. Well, that's just it. There are potholes and there are. There's also what is perceived to be and, and really what is. And so one of the perceptions is that, that consumer discretion as a sector has been a great performer. And the reality is, of course, it's, it, it's absolutely not a great performer. Let's, let's try to un, unpack it. So two lines, blue and orange. The blue, this is since January of 18, so 18 months plus, um, up about 15%. And that's essentially double, if you look back at the axis there, the market. The market's up 7 Uh, The sector is up 15, so you say, so what's the problem? Now, it's always, ever thus, it's a few names holding up the group, keeping everything alive. If you make the equal weight sector, let's add it in. So now, all I've simply done is taken the blue line and not given Amazon the weight that it has in Home Depot and others, but made them all equal weight, 62 stocks, almost $3 trillion. And what we know is actually it's a big old goose egg. In fact, the sector itself up 15, equal weight unchanged, actually down a fraction. That's the real story of consumer, and it's what Dan was talking about with XRT. It's been with us a while, but it continues, and that's kind of the issue. So now here, removing the S&P, here are the two, the actual and then the equal. And one could say, so what? But the actual is the actual. But it makes it that much harder to outperform because you had to be in just a handful of names. In fact, and we can talk about this later, five names are half the weight of the sector. So a couple other ways to draw the lines. This is going back the same time frame. And what we know is that the equal weight sector, right, and its relative performance, and this is the problem, consumer discretion equal weight relative to the actual is making new two- and three- and four-year relative lows. Now, compare it to the S&P. Here's the equal weight on top, and it's the same thing, making new, fresh 52-week lows, despite the belief that the sector is outperforming. Pull this back even further. Here it is, we're approaching the 09 low. All of this for nothing, meaning the relative performance has collapsed. We're getting back to crisis lows. And let's look at the two uh, popular ETFs. This is the ETF, the weighted one. And what we know, there's no way around this, is that we're hovering, and the risk is that we break. And then, of course, here's the XRT, the disaster, and it's the same thing, just in a different form. It's a well established downtrend. You can draw the lines and circles, and it all suggests more to come. Not good.
2: Carter, come on over. Jonah will bring the chair over. Thank you, Jonah. So many questions for Carter today, right? A lot of questions I have a few. You yeah. yeah. You want to kick I, it off? Yeah. Kick it off. Why,
1: not? Why not? Well, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I guess my view is, while I, I, those charts don't inspire a lot of excitement, but but I, the, the discretionary chart um, relative to Jan 2018 when all markets, when the U.S. market, the S&P at the all-time high, the blow-off top, um, it, it, to me, it looks marginally better. And that would be an XLY. And that would be one which, again, includes a big boy like like an Amazon or something that you're talking about. But isn't, is that a disaster? It seems like it's just performing in line, which I... And I we're really talking about relative performance.
8: Right. So I guess there's two ways. It's the circumstance where just a few names, in fact, five names, right, are worth half the weight. So 62 stocks, but five, and you know the names, it's Amazon, it's Home Depot, it's Nike, it's McDonald's and Starbucks, are basically carrying the day. And now one could say, wait a minute, so what? Macy's been going down for five years, JCPenney's been going, you're always going to sift out the winners and losers in life, and that these are the ones that should, but more and more money in fewer and fewer names is, is a circumstance that almost always ends badly, and that is the that is the problem. Sure.
2: So that means that the winners in the XRT, the five names that make up half the weight, are also going
8: to be losers? Well, ultimately, if you think about the circumstance of bifurcation, it's good technique. People say, I'm going to stay away from uh, the things that aren't working. And I'm, it's musical chairs. And I'm going to go and stay in higher and higher ground. At some point, you just get to be a valuation issue. You just get to be a money flow issue. And we have to be very close to that point.
4: So, Carter, I'm curious, you come on week after week, you talk about these equal-weighted, and you're saying there's only this narrow bunch of stocks that are working, and you go sector by sector, and it happens to be in every sector. You guys are talking about right?
8: industrials with financials. Yeah. Right, so at what point does that become a huge problem for the market as well, a whole? Well, that's just it. You, you have fewer and fewer... He just
1: fed him a softball, man. What I, do you mean? I'm, I'm <laughs> no, a,
8: I'm wondering exactly if there's, like, precedent for good, this. It's, it's Dan, Dan, was, Dan was pounding on this just earlier. It, it is a circumstance that... Makes sense, because as technicos, you want to try to favor winners, but at some point, it's just too much money pressing in on too few names, or guess what? It gets down to the fundamentals. At some point, they're expensive. Has this
2: been going on, though, for a long time?
8: It goes on, and then it ebbs, and it goes on, and then it okay. ebbs, and again, that's so where the natural now bias in the ebb and flow? of markets. But it's particularly, uh, well, poignant now, right? And it okay. shows how fragile. It's a, it's a circumstance of fragility.
2: I want to ask you about the overall indices since we saw this uh, sell-off in today's session. In your note this morning, you said June lows were in play,
8: I so, so. I mean, twenty you know, you twenty-two can, or so. Sure, you can do that. I mean, in an afternoon, you know. Um, but the point is that. There's a breath issue, and that's one of the reasons why you'll never hear me talk about advanced decline line. That is a concomitant index. It is a coincident index. What really matters is the structure of the market. The structure of the market is a lot of extended names and more and more weak names. And that bifurcation usually ends with generally lower prices.
2: Okay. Beyond
8: 2822, 20, though? I think so. Beyond. Oh, sure. Why to not? what,
2: though? <laughs>
8: why not tap it as the December lows and then some? December low. Sure, why not? We, we're, we're ultimately, unless you don't believe there'll ever be a recession again and uh, the business cycle continues, I mean, if things were so good and rates were, you hear about the Fed model and, the, and my DCF and all the stuff that people, and you inverse the peak, well, then stocks should be surging. We should have 30 times PE. Where are the buyers? Something's wrong.
2: Carter, thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Sunshine here. Carter (laughs) Jackson. Boy, you made some good points, though.
5: (laughs) December lows. Yeah, I, I would just make one point. I mean, so think about it. So farmers got the hardest hit, right, from this first round of tariffs that went in through last year. So now we're really starting to focus on the consumer here. So farmers got a bailout. Farmers got this really nice socialist chunk of cash that our manufacturers, right? We're, we're paying for these tariffs, and then they got the money. So then pretty soon, consumers, they're going to need a bailout, right? And we've we bailed out consumers before. So if we keep ratcheting up these tariffs, are consumers going to get, get a bailout? And what do you think that means if we just have these tariffs talking on about 600 billion, well, 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 wait. Tax but, cuts.
1: Well, first of all, the, 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 so, the if anything, the I, I would be more worried higher, about corporate America. actually
5: have to go to zero and below. I mean, this is how it all starts. Okay, but but yeah. if anything,
1: the, the place where there's an issue when slow growth, the first place you're going to stop is actually that that big. That triple B tranche uh, of debt that will very quickly turn to junk, some of it, if you you get a lower growth. So the falling angels is is a dynamic. Um, But back to your S&P. Look, 2825 is the 50-week moving average. There's very good support there. does not mean that has to hold. And, in fact, your next spot is probably 27 and a quarter. All
2: right. Coming up, more on today's sell-off. We're drilling down on the tech rack. One options trader just made a $2 million bet that tech's troubles are just getting started. we got the details ahead. And later, Hong Kong on high alert as massive protests intensify. The one sector that could get hit hard as demonstrators dig in. Stay with us. Fast money's back after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money Pot Stocks. Getting put to the test this week as key names like Tilray and Canopy Growth kick off earnings. Let's get to Aditi Roy with more on what to expect. Hey, Aditi.
9: Hey, Melissa, and both those companies have very different tasks at hand with those earnings. One factor favoring top line growth at both companies, Canadian adult use sales were up 22 percent in April and 15 percent in May month over month as more stores opened in the country. It'll be a lot tougher for those companies to blame friction in the space for lagging sales revenue. You may remember last quarter, Canopy Growth reported a decline in revenue from gross adult use and medical cannabis sales in Canada Tilray will likely be talking about domestic sales in Canada, but also pointing to international investments. The company just announced it is increasing its cultivation capacity in Portugal. We'll see if that folds into the guidance. We'll also look for any comments on Tilray's investment in the U.S. CBD space. The company's been partnering with Authentic Brands, which is behind Nine West and Juicy Couture, among other brands. We'll see if Tilray has any color on the types of CBD projects and timeline, we can see uh, those things roll out from that deal. Canopy growth, though, has its own challenges given that last quarter was rough. And this is the first earnings call after the ouster of co CEO Bruce Linton. The numbers Canopy will report will reflect Linton's last quarter with the company. Mark Zakulin, who's now sole CEO, will likely set a tone of fiscal discipline, a slowdown in acquisitions, and a focus on the local market. Morgan Passia of Poseidon Asset Management also tells me he'll be watching margins for both companies because if they're having to cut prices to get shelf space that would have a margin impact. Melissa,
2: back to you. Aditi, thank you. And before we get into this trade, I want to mention that Tim has a cannabis ETF, CNBS, and for disclosure purposes, all the components are listed on our website, fast.cnbc.com. So, Tim, in terms of declines that we saw last quarter in adult-use marijuana, was that mainly because there wasn't enough supply available? Yeah, I
1: think there was issues in in real life. Our last segment was called uh, Potholes on Main Street. I mean, this one could be called Potholes... uh, In Potland." uh, I mean, main holes, excuse (laughs) me, main holes on Pot Street. And with what was going on, in Canada, I don't think it's, it's representative of, of really what you have. If anything, what we learned from Aurora and Afria, who have already reported, they're the first two big heavyweights to have reported, that actually there's been a slight surprise to the upside. Some people actually feel uh, first to, to Canopy um, that you know, we're expecting somewhere around 110 uh, million Canadian as, as their top line number. Uh, you know may, Maybe there could be a little bit of weakness there. The most important thing for Canopy right now is gross margins based upon uh, how they came in at 16% last quarter. People want to see them up around 23%. Uh, Aditi talked about the change in leadership. Look, uh, I think there's a major driver for this company for them to articulate exactly uh, who is going to be taking the helm. And and most likely, it's going to be someone who has a very large CPG background, which is what this company is, just like their parent in in Constellation Brand. So um, I think Tilray is a story of many different, very interesting strategic global partnerships. Uh, She talked about uh, the authentic brands. I think the Manitoba uh, also acquisition will be one that starts to show some returns. Uh, I think, frankly, in Canada. Tilray lags badly the other big boys. So you want to see what's going on. This Portugal deal, I think, is one that's very interesting. That is playing into their distribution into Germany, which people are very excited. And let's remember that they're also partnered with Novartis, uh, ABI. Um, So they they have these strategic partnerships by big consumer players.
2: Are supply concerns exacerbated by CanTrust and the finding that a second facility um, it was not properly licensed by Health Canada.
1: Well, um, I, I, I think in the short run, I, the answer is I don't think we know the answer to that. But there's no question that this has been a major disruption, and the corporate governance around this is something that's given all investors pause, and it's affected all of them. Uh, even though I think different companies, and this is why you really need to do your work, folks, because corporate governance risks are, are a big deal. Demand in Canada, and again, this is not why you're investing in the sector. And again, 25 times EV EB, EBITDA for, for Tilray is not a valuation that even makes sense. Um, It's the global footprint. It's what these guys are doing in the U.S., and I think that's what people are focused on.
2: Coming up, escalating protests in Hong Kong, threatening one big group of stocks. We'll tell you how to trade this move. Plus tech, still the best-performing sector this year, but one trader just made a $2 million bet that the hot rally is about to cool off. We will lay out the trade much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Pass Money. We are keeping an eye on the latest developments out of Hong Kong. Demonstrators digging in today, forcing Hong Kong to shut down its main airport. The growing protests could have major impacts on casino operators in neighboring Macau. Let's get to Contessa Brewer back at headquarters with more on this story. Contessa.
0: Las Vegas Sands today dropped more than 3% and down 14% month-to-date. Over that same time frame, Wynn has lost 18% off its share price, down 1.7% today. Hong Kong-based Melco Resorts lost a percent today, and MGM lost 1.5%. But over three months, it's actually up 11%. Of course, it has the least amount of exposure to and reliance on its Macau revenues. Hong Kong is a major port of entry for Macau, and a summer of protests is having an impact. Last week, we heard Wynn CEO Matt Maddox on the earnings call blame cancellation of hundreds of flights for some of the softness in that VIP segment. And that was before the entire shutdown of the airport. Gaming analyst Harry Curtis at Nomura Instanet writes today, While the protests in Hong Kong and the closing of the Hong Kong airport will likely have a negative near-term impact on visitation to Macau, the impact should be transitory and visitation should recover once the airport reopens. But, of course, trade tensions and a weakening Chinese economy are also creating headwinds. Melissa?
2: All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer back at headquarters. I don't know if it's just the reopening of the airport that's going to magically turn things around. I mean, we already saw the impact on just tourism in Hong Kong and retail sales in the month of July were down 7 percent. So it's already it's feeling an impact in terms of consumers' willingness to get out there and spend money.
4: Absolutely. I mean, the the airport today, the airport closing was stunning. It reopening is going to get some trickle back. But I don't think you're going to see just this huge influx of people until this unrest is resolved. So you have a couple dates that are important. You have uh, early September when a lot of the kids go back to school. Potentially, that could be it. And it has to be resolved in my view by October one, uh, primarily because that's when China wants to celebrate their independence and they have a big holiday on October first. They can't have Hong Kong, uh, uh, Hong Kong. In unrest. That being said, a lot of this is kind of priced into these stocks. So you look at something like a win that was a one hundred and thirty dollars stock at the beginning of this month. There is going to be a buying opportunity in these names once you see some uh, some of this unrest go away.
5: We were talking uh, EEM earlier as it relates to South America, but when you look at the EEM, the ETF that tracks supposedly all the emerging markets really heavy china taiwan right south korea and so to me i think that's the one that if you continue to think that this is going to play out over months i think as um kind of maybe a hedge against your u.s portfolio that would be a good short, in my opinion, you know. Um, I think, uh, you know, 40 was a big level. I think if you go back and look at 2016, there was a double bottom low down in the low 30s, and I think that's a level that you could see this thing moving down towards. Ten cent largest holder uh, holding Alibaba, we know that Taiwan Semi, and then um, Samsung. and Samsung, obviously. So Yeah,
1: no, that's a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll talk back to casinos. I'll just say that when, um, I do think if you saw, if you listen to their last round of numbers, uh, we got information that they're basically flat year over year in terms of EBITDA, but uh, I I do think if you look at the pre cash flow here, it's something that, while not an issue for the company, it is something that's really where you're starting to see the, the brakes being put on. Ultimately, if you look at the gamers, you know, Macau peaked in May, uh, and it was actually at five months high. I think part of this is that sentiment was so strong for, for the sector, at least, coming into this period. The, the final thing on Hong Kong, to me, for gamers, is back to, I think, cramping down, or crimping down, or, or, or cracking down, sorry, uh, on capital flight is really the story for Macau. Um, that's That, to me, at a time where China's starting to panic, whatever that means, um, Macau's gonna suffer.
2: I mean, in the past they've done things like you can only take out so much money exactly. out of an ATM, et cetera, which really hurts, uh, you know, if somebody wants to gamble a lot.
3: Yeah, so, uh, you know, when we talk about taking money out of the ATMs, gambling, I think the casinos with the VIP exposure are gonna get hit the hardest. So I'd be avoiding win. I do like Las Vegas Sands here. I think there's a great opportunity on the pullback. They focus more on that middle-class gamer, right? And we want exposure to the rising middle-class consumer in China. I think Las Vegas Sands is a great opportunity right here.
2: All right, coming up, tech getting slammed in today's sell-off, and options traders are betting the pain is only just beginning. We'll break down the action. Plus, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is sitting down with Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick. Be sure to capture that full interview on Mad Money coming up at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more fast still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tech under pressure again to kick off the week after staging a huge turnaround last week. But the options market isn't convinced that tech is out of the woods yet. One trader just made a $2 million bet that the pain may be just beginning. Dan's over at the plaza with the action. Dan.
5: Yeah, so let's talk about the QQQ. That's the NASDAQ 100 ETF. And we know that 40% of that ETF of 100 stocks in the NASDAQ is really weighted towards four that make up 40 percent that's maga microsoft apple google and amazon today put volume was two times that of calls and there was a trade right out of the gate minutes after the market opened this morning when the etf was trading about 185 bucks There was a buyer of 7,000 of the november 176 157 put spreads paying about $3.11 $3.11 for that. That breaks even down 6.5% at 172.89 on November expiration. And the trader can make up to $15.89 all the way down to 157. That would be down 15% from the trading level here. And one of the things, you know, when I see a trade like this, I don't know if it's a bearish bet. Maybe it's more like a hedge against the portfolio of some mega cap um, tech stocks. But it's at least interesting to look at because, you know, from the chart standpoint, here's the one year chart here. And look at this uptrend that's been in place since the December lows. If I was Carter, I might be saying, you know, drawing a couple circles here and saying this is some pretty important um, support here. I just want to draw another line. This was all last year. It was this really steady uptrend, a series of higher highs and higher lows. And once it broke, we know that we had a 20 percent peak to trough decline. I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but I think if you, you live through that, you might be cognizant of the fact that it could happen again. But let's go to this chart. This is since the lows in 2016. And what I think is really interesting is that this was massive support all the way from the lows in 2016. And when it broke it last year, we had a meaningful break. But what happened here? This trend line has now which was support, is now resistance. And in these two highs, we have failed over the last year to break out above that prior um, level here. So to me, you know, we did not have a confirmation of Amazon, of Apple and of Google of the new highs in the broad market here. And that could be one reason why this thing is lagging on a relative basis. So to me, I think it does make sense when we get to these relative highs to start thinking about taking some gains in these mega caps or thinking about some cheap dollar protection in the options market.
2: All right, Dan, thanks for that. Dan Nathan for more options, action check out the full show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade, Tim.
1: We talked to just discretionary, and I do think that Best Buy runs into some problems here just below 65 stock I would actually sell. CK. Uh,
2: you know, if you don't
4: like the new kid on the block, try the OG Gold, which is actually GLD. Like to buy sync. that one. Do you like InSync?
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mark Tepper.
3: So, much. so I like CVS here. The valuation is at rock bottom levels because of all these fears surrounding Medicare for all. Love the Aetna deal. And
5: all they do is they just continue to beat and raise. Dan. Uh, stating the obvious because that's what I do. I think retail is a bit of a disaster. The XRT is one of the worst. When it breaks 38, it's going much lower.
2: That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 more fast. Matt and Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.